You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 6. We're doing something called Sermon on the Mount. Matthew and chapter 6. I do think it is really exciting, the dedications that we're going to be doing. Many of us love kids most of the time, if we're really honest. They have a certain humour and a way about them. I came across these prayers this week from children. Dear God, my mum tells me you have a reason for everything on earth. I guess broccoli is one of your mysteries. Another child prayed this. Please forgive me for hiding my sister's favourite doll and please don't tell her where it is. Dear God, I need you to make my mum not allergic to cats. I really want a cat and I don't want to ask my mum to move out. (laughs) I wonder what you would pray. Dear God, went another prayer. Can you get me a smartphone? Santa must have forgot. Dear God, I hope my dog is in heaven with you. Please take care of him. Sorry if he chews on your sandals. I guess it's fascinating, isn't it? The prayers of kids. We're going to be looking at what is probably the the most famous prayer in the entire Bible. Often we've called it the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6 and verse 15, I'm going to read this to you. Before we do this, how do you approach prayer? Do you think it's sentimental for kids? Do you pray? How would you pray? Let's hear what Jesus says. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father in heaven knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven... Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, Your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Wow, this Sermon on the Mount we've been looking at for a few weeks. We believe it is Jesus' manifesto for his disciples. It may be that this is your first week joining with us. We're not here trying to tell you how to behave. We're just trying to say, if you choose to follow Jesus, this is what life would look like. 
A disciple is one who follows Jesus and strives to emulate his life in every way. The bit that I've read this morning actually follows on, surprise, surprise, from Matthew 6, verse 1, which actually sets up this whole passage. Jesus there says to them, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And then Jesus takes this principle, which he's outlined, and applies it to three things. He applies it to giving, he applies it to praying, and he applies it to fasting. And last week we looked at giving and fasting. So if, if you've turned up this morning and you think we're after your money, you're okay. We talked about that last week. If you're looking forward to Sunday lunch, that's fine as well this week. We talked about fasting last week. But Jesus gives twice as much time to prayer as he does fasting and giving. So actually this topic is twice as important, you could say, as last week's. When you pray. Christianity Today magazine in January 2020 last year said that in in Great Britain, three in five adults now say they never pray. Three in five of us say we never pray. Only 12% of British adults say they pray once a day. And one in three who claim to be Christian say they never pray. If you're sat in a bubble of three, just look sideways because it's one of you. (laughs) Now, of course not. Stats is all about there, isn't it? But I guess you would say it's very easy to, to live in a prayerless society. Jesus was, was speaking at a time when prayer was a core thing. They reckon in those days that, that, just like I've read the Bible out loud, that people would read out loud just to themselves. And it wasn't something you did in your head, but actually they also prayed out loud. One rabbi said this, He who prays within his house surrounds its walls with something stronger than iron. So he was saying, look, prayer is such a key thing. If you want a safe, secure life, you would pray. The Jews grew up, it was their culture to pray three times a day. Some of you might have heard of Daniel's and the lion's den, a story from the Old Testament. Although Daniel was in trouble, we read in Daniel 6, Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks. That wasn't just an Old Testament, the Old Testament, the the bit of the Bible written before Jesus came. That also happened in the New Testament. We know in Acts 3 that Peter and John are going to the temple. Why? Because it is the time to pray. So Jesus spoke and said, come on, when you pray. And for some of us, we think, oh, that could be a new thing. I would challenge you, if you don't pray, give it a go. Why not this week? Why not pray? Say, God, are you there? I've not done this before, but I was told on Sunday, give it a go. Now he gives us a couple of examples how not to do it. And one is the hypocrite. The hypocrite, I I love this, but he doesn't just stand on the street and pray. Now, most of us, if we're really honest today, would be a bit embarrassed to do that. But in those days, obviously, this was a core thing to do. He didn't just stand on the street. Where did he stand? He stood on the street corner. 
Well, that's where two streets came together. It's almost like I'm not just going to stand outside on the road. I'm going to stand in Oxford Circus and pray. As many people as possible would pass. We think he has his hands raised to be seen by men. His misunderstanding of prayer was this. He thought it was what others watched. He thought it was about people. The way he prayed was to impress others. And Jesus is really saying, look, that's wrong. If you are praying to impress those around you, it's wrong. Instead, Jesus says, close the door. Now, it's funny because we think, oh, wow, that's a classic, isn't it? Many of us would have a bedroom and you go and close the door and you're just there on your own. In these houses, they didn't have many doors. They reckoned that the only room with the door was the storeroom. And so actually, if you suddenly went in there, you were in this sort of treasure trove. And it's almost like Jesus is saying, get somewhere secret and believe God for provision. Come and pray. Then he gives another example. He said, look, don't be like the hypocrites. They've got a wrong understanding of people. He said, but don't be like the pagans. Because what had happened with the pagans is they used to say lots and lots of different titles to God to try and hope that maybe whichever God was there might listen. And it's almost like they approached prayer as a bit like a magical means to manipulate God. And so they had a wrong understanding of who God was. We had this word even earlier, didn't we? Oh, but actually, if we come to who God is, it makes us pray different. Don't come and just sort of like rub the lamp and think, oh, genie, please give me three wishes. And the first wish is always give me three more, isn't it? But you know what I'm saying? That's often how people approach prayer because they've got a misunderstanding of who God is. William Barclay, he was a Scottish author and a TV presenter, said this, Prayer must never be an attempt to bend the will of God to our desires. Prayer is always an attempt to submit our wills to the will of God. You see, if we ultimately believe in the God of the Bible, then God created everything. God knows everything. God is outside of time. We don't come to inform him. We come to worship him. We don't come to tell him about something. We come to delight in him. Now, I could get sidetracked on this, and I mustn't because I know we're going to be delighting to stand with these families and thanking God. Jesus is not saying in here, never pray with other people. We know that he did, and we know the early church did. Jesus is not saying, don't persist in prayer i.e. keep babbling away. We know from Luke 18 that he told them a parable that they should always pray and not give up. We know that himself in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he was due to die, he went again and again and again back to God in prayer. So what could we say about prayer from this? I'd like to suggest this. The motive is more important than the activity. The motive is more important than the activity. These 50 plus words known as the Lord's Prayer, possibly, look, when I went to school back in the old days, you'd have to learn it. And in assembly, you know, the teacher would kick it all off. 
In fact, maybe we should do that with the three families that come out this morning. We'll see if their kids know it and if they're good parents. Uh, Now suddenly I'm down to one dedication. (laughs) The honest truth is I'm not even sure we should teach our kids this. Because it's a prayer for disciples. It's not about morality. This is about people that know God. I would like to say it's the disciples' prayer, not even the Lord's prayer. After all, Jesus wouldn't have had to pray it because he had no sins to be forgiven of. We believe that he lived the perfect life. So let's look at this model prayer. This model prayer, how does it start? Father. Jesus often uses this term in the Bible. When he refers to God, he doesn't say almighty. He says Father. There's a sense of intimacy In the Old Testament, God is only described as a father 14 times. In the Sermon on the Mount, this one bit of teaching, there's five blocks of teaching in the book of Matthew, just this one block, Jesus refers to father 17 times. Do you know the only time in the Bible when Jesus doesn't pray father? Is when he's on the cross taking your sin and mine. Because he's separated and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, he knew this intimate relationship with the Father and that was broken for us. He said, look, I want you to come and know Father like I do. He doesn't even say, you pray my Father. He says, our Father. We are to pray together. There's this beautiful picture, isn't there? And yet he says, our Father in heaven. I don't believe any word of Scripture is there by mistake. I honestly believe that it's there to open our eyes. You see, my dad came to visit me yesterday. I love it when my dad comes to visit because I don't like doing the garden, and he does. He turned up yesterday. I don't know how many plants he even brought in the car. He just turned up and said, I've got some spare plants and I thought I could put them in your garden, Pete. And I think, great, this is a win-win. That's how I think about a good dad. I guess our danger is sometimes we can think of God like that. And, and there is a sense that God is a good, kind, generous father. But there's also a sense that actually he's the almighty in heaven. And so what the the opening of this brings together is actually he's dear and he's intimate, but actually he's the almighty and holy and worthy of worship. And we're to revere him and to respect him. And when he says something, we jump. I used to be a primary school teacher. This is my teaching tip for anyone who's parenting today. I used to have one rule in my classroom. When I say jump, you should already be in the air. If you say how high, sir, you're thinking too long. Now, I know you couldn't get away with that now. I've not been teaching for many years. I sometimes think we can question God. Because we think, oh, he's my father and he just do everything for me. Jesus in his prayer says, come on, remember, as it says in Ecclesiastes, God is in heaven and you are here on earth. So the model is, remember who we pray to. I've only got two points, and then I will be finished. My first point is this. 
the first half of the prayer, there's six statements that follow. The first three are all about him. It talks about you. It talks about hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. I've actually been at conference this week for a couple of days and had lots of other things on. So I'd written this sermon over a week ago, which is, if you know me, is virtual miracle. Often I tell Nikki, I, I want to make sure that I give them fresh food, which is my justification for writing my sermon on a Saturday night. So I've had a whole week to try and practice this one. It's hard. Do I spend half my prayer focused on God or do I rush in and tell him what I want Tom Wright he's a New Testament scholar says this prayer that doesn't start there this is focus on God is always in danger of concentrating on ourselves and soon it stops being prayer altogether and collapses into the random thoughts fears and longings of our minds There's a famous preacher in London, a guy called Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he says, whenever you come to prayer, there is a sense that you should take your own hand and put it over your own mouth. How do I just stop and think about who God is? Hallowed be your name. In an informal and casual society, how do we respect who God is? Your kingdom come. That's the reign of God, the rest of God, the rule of God, the return of God. That's the king that we come to. Your will be done. Jesus perfectly submitted to the Father's plan. Half our prayer should be about him and his kingdom and his rule and his name. I find that challenging. My son is not here today. My kids have tried to say, if ever I use them as an illustration, I owe them a kebab. Well, if he'd have been in church, I'd have given it to him. But as he's not, I should use it anyway. He's had his finals this week. Finals online, in his bedroom. I've spent lots of time praying for my son this week. Oh, have I started by focusing upon God? Why have I just spent the whole time praying about my son? I'm not saying it's not right to pray for my son, but if I take Jesus' prayer, surely half the time would be fixing my eyes upon him. So then there's three other statements, three other statements that are really about us. Our daily bread, our debts, help us to avoid temptation. I don't want to over-spiritualise this. Some people have said, oh, what's it mean when it talks about daily bread? Luther, Martin Luther, the great reformer, said it's symbolic for all that we physically need from God. Trust God for everything. If you know the Old Testament, you know that when Moses led the people out of Egypt and slavery, they had manna which came every day from God. And so there was a sense of almost in this prayer, trust God every day. I mean, that's really hard for most of us here. I mean, let's be honest, if nothing happened, most of us can afford food tomorrow as it is, can't we? Jesus is saying, come and trust God daily. Not your savings, not your pension pot. Trust God daily. 
forgiveness. I think one of the most challenging stories that Jesus ever told was called the the parable of the unmerciful servant. He was basically saying, there there was this guy and he, he was in terrible debt to this king and the king comes along and grabs him by the throat and says, pay me what you owe me. Five million quid. And the guy gets down upon his knees and says, I can't pay, forgive me. He says, I should throw you into prison. But instead, he lets him off. The guy walks down the street and literally does the same thing. Grabs somebody around the neck and says, pay me what you owe me. I'm sorry, I haven't got the five pounds on me. Right, I'm going to throw you into prison. Jesus says, how's how's God going to feel about that? Forgave you all this and you won't give that. Right, I won't forgive him his debt. Michael Green, in one commentary that I read on this, trying to get my head around forgiveness. It's easier to say than do. He said this, if we open our hands to receive God's gracious pardon to us, then we cannot keep our fists tightly clenched against those who've wronged us. I thought it was a great illustration. You see, if I open my hands to receive all that God gives me, then by nature I've dropped whatever else someone else has offended me. And if I'm clinging on to it, well, then I don't know God's forgiveness. It's not that I earn forgiveness, but it's obvious just by the way that I behave. Avoiding temptation. It's so challenging, isn't it? And yet we're to come and pray, God, we need your help. I've got a slide now coming up. I've called it Deeper. But I think actually all three of these things point us back to Jesus, to the Father and to the Spirit. Our daily bread is what we need that's material. That's our present requests in life. And we believe that the Father creates everything and he sustains us. The forgiveness that we need is spiritual. And often that's something we've done in the past. And we know that Jesus is the saviour who redeems us. The temptation that we face is moral. And often that's something future. And it is the spirit that will strengthen us. So I guess what I would really like to suggest that even in this prayer, when the first half was all about God, and then I told you the second half was all about us. I wonder if it all expresses our dependence and our need upon him. And that actually prayer is not worrying out loud. Prayer is us connecting with God. Michael Eaton, he was a London man, spent many of his years ministering in Kenya. He says, God does not need prayer at all. It is we who need to pray. When you pray. Can I just say this? Location is not a factor. Position is not a problem. But motive is crucial. I think from Jesus' teaching, he's looking for prayer that is sincere, simple, secret and structured. Childlike. 
Come and pray to your Father in heaven. When you pray, Jesus says, hey, if you're my disciple, you'll be one that prays. Isn't it wonderful? We've got a Father we can pray to at any time. I love that, don't you? I'm not going to say we're going to stop in the street, you know, stop on the escalator and queue, you know. <laughs> oh, it's all right, I'm just praying. No. But actually, when I'm on the tube, I can pray. When I'm walking to the car, I can pray. When I'm in the shower, I can pray. We have a God who loves it when we pray. He loves to listen. Even before I pray, Father, I feel I need to put my hand over my own mouth. I don't want to pray now even about me. I want to declare who you are. You are the incredible Father. You're the creator of heaven and earth. You're the one that knows all things, sees all things. You're the God who sees in secret. You're the God who listens. You're the God who can answer. God, as I stop and and just pray, I'm amazed again that you're the king upon the throne, the king who's intimate with us. I'm amazed that you're the king who reigns. You're the king who forgives. You're the king who sent your son to die for us. I'm amazed by that. I'm amazed by your grace and your mercy. I'm amazed by your compassion. I'm amazed by your patience, your tenderness, your kindness. Oh, Father, when I come and pray, I'm amazed that the God of heaven would stop and listen to the words from someone on earth. I recognize my total dependence upon you. I recognize my need for forgiveness. Security, acceptance, significance, it all flows from you. Lord, please have your way in us and through us. Help us to be a people that pray to you, that know you, that hear your voice, that go on this an adventure of communion with God Almighty for your glory. Amen.